1: Everybody, it's Lenny Murphy with another edition of the Green Book Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to spend it with myself and my guest. Uh, and today's going to be a, it's gonna be a fun one. So, my guest is Edward Appleton. For those of you who are not familiar with that name, well, you should be. Edward's been around the industry for a long time. He's gonna give his own bio, but his blog has been a must-read for many, many years. And he's a a fantastically insightful, funny, uh, and no BS guy, someone that I've appreciated for a very long time, and it's great to finally have him on the podcast. So Edward, welcome.
2: Thank you, Lenny. Thank you. It's good to catch up. It's good to um, see you, hear your voice, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to it.
1: I am as well, and hopefully we'll both still feel that way at the end. So, you never know. You never know. Absolutely. All right. So, a lot of folks may not be familiar with you. So, I will leave it to you to kind of give you the, the bio that you want to deliver.
2: The story I'd like to tell about myself. So, yeah, uh, Lenny introduced me. I, I My name is Edward Appleton. I am a researcher by profession. I started off way back in London with, on the research agency side, a company called Mass Observation, which my UK colleagues will know as a very ancient but prestigious um, organization doing really cool stuff in the Second World War for the Ministry of Defense. So I was there for a few years, I tried to learn about sampling and statistics and all the things that have gone out of fashion nowadays. And then I went to the client side in Nestle, and that's kind of been sort of like, if you like that pattern, so agency side, then going client side, that's been the pattern over my career, my, wow, 25, 30 years of market research. Except my wife is German, that's a big thing. We we left the UK in 1989. I don't think I had anything to do with the falling of the Berlin Wall, but it was there when I went and it wasn't a few weeks later. And I've I've been in Germany ever since, uh, with one one year in Edinburgh and working for an advertising agency as that was the exception. So I'm not gonna take you through any more. I'm I got fascinated by qualitative research in about 2014-15. <laughs> And joined a, a boutique called Happy Thinking People in Berlin, and I stepped away from the sort of like the hands-on doing stuff and took care of their promotion. So a bit of marketing, bit of sales, bit of R and D, bit of PR. And I've known Lenny for quite a while. We've had always had lively conversations, um, polite disagreements, and I'm honoured to be part of his um, this big podcast today. So thank you,
1: Lenny. Is that enough? I think so. <laughs> it's never enough Edward, but at least for our audience, it gives them a sense. So, you know, if people have not been reading research and reflect, which you've been doing, gosh, what, 10, 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah long, long time. It's an amazing, if, if you started reading it in the beginning, like I did to now, it tracks through your experience, the progression of the industry in many, many ways. And with the view that you've always taken that's slightly yeah I still I struggle I'm still struggling with the word we talked about it before we went live but I'm, I'm still going to use cynical for lack of a better term but meaning hey wait a minute let's not buy in all the hype right let's let's pay attention to things and a reminder of the basics of what matters you know of quality and and you know delivering impactful insights rather than getting blinded by the the bright shiny objects that we continue to get caught up in is that a pretty fair summation of the the perspective that kind of infuses all of your writing? I, I have kind
2: of like um, you know, sort of an empirical skepticism, which says, you know, what are the facts here that are beyond a narrative? What do I know and sort of like what's somebody trying to conceal or not tell me? And where is the where are they getting ahead of themselves in terms of where they would like to be? So yeah. When you said earlier on, you know, slowing things down, maybe it's not slowing things down, but just putting a critical lens to things and saying, Well, this is my take. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but sharing sharing my point of view for what it's worth.
1: Well, yeah, I think it's been important. So it's something I've tried to actually emulate that you've inspired me to do as well. Really? Like so you yes. Oh my goodness. Really, truly. I know. I mean, you're 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 one of my heroes. Oh, Edward. Lenny, uh, Th-
2: that means I can't. I, you're <laughs> going to ask me who my hero is at the end. Now you've just cancelled the answer. I can't say it, can I?
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: uh, I'll come All up right. with. Uh, no, I'll find a way around that. We'll get that. Don't worry. Okay. All right. Good enough. Don't worry. Good enough. Well, we'll have a few heroes, and you'll you'll appear. Don't worry.
1: Oh well, I appreciate that. Thank <laughs> you. But it, truly, and I think especially lately, right for the past year when we're in another period of disruption i mean crap we've been in a period of disruption for you know the last 20 years but it seems as if you know there is a new technology ai that really does have the potential to change a lot of the role the function the process of insights it's not hype anymore it's it's being proven and i think like you i've been thinking a lot about okay well that could be a good thing because it will push us back to the fundamentals in some ways, the fundamental value, while also taking away some of the fundamentals of the science, because the technology can do some of that for us. So I have tried to emulate that. I think it's, it's, you've made some really important points. So let's let's start there. Give me your state of the union. What do you see happening? What do you think right now, the state of play in the inside space?
2: so i, I think you've, you've said it really nicely lenny that you know there have been waves of hype driven by you know technology since well 20, 20 years maybe a bit longer and if you go back to i don't know if i put my qual hat on back in the 2003-4 there was a lot of talk from tech players that they would eradicate qualitative research. And there was a lot of defensiveness about that from the qualitative, let's call it community for want of a better word. But there was a lot of pushback and say, oh, it sounds like this is very arrogant and they're getting ahead of themselves. And, and so it proved that there was a lot of sort of like hype of people saying this is validated before it was validated. And I think if you, if you look forward to now, it's like, is, is this similar? And I would say probably not, I don't think so. I think this is much much bigger generative AI and it really does seem to convince on you know even if you're just if you say this is a small experimental piece of research you've done but it's giving pretty scarily good results and synthetic data doesn't seem to be you know the word bad is not written on it at all it seems to be quite convincing So, yes, the quality question still remains and the strategic relevance still remains. But I think it's a big, big, you know, going to be a big, big thing for market research and it's going to change masses of business models. If you're in the business of, say, a sample provider and you don't need a sample because you say, well, what do I do with that? You know, if synthetic data turns out to be in three years' time reasonably valid for my needs, in my category, in my language, why would I need to pay to ask people if I only need 80%, 85% accuracy, then I'll save myself a lot of time, a lot of money. So I think it's going to knock out a lot. But I've always sort of like had one of my hobby horses that data is not insights. Just because you have data doesn't mean you're a smart person. If it, did, we probably would be both very rich and we're trying our best to be smart. You've got to make sense of it. You've got to talk to people who are making decisions and saying, this is something that's going to help you make a better decision. And I think that's something the industry has been grappling with for a long time. It's not a new concept, but it means you have to understand a category very well. You have to have the ability to communicate what you want to say you have to be if you if you like, it's it's very old fashioned. You have to be a proper consultant with a bias towards data, towards analytics, towards a degree of ability to be a nerd if it's necessary. You've got to do that. And if you don't, I think you'll probably your margins will be continue to be eroded and you will be just pushed aside by not even other market researchers. You will be pushed aside by people in IT, people in marketing. All these adjacent disciplines who are powerful, who have much deeper pockets, and not even mentioning the large consultancies out there who are very good at doing what I just mentioned. And you said, you know, I'm an anti BS merchant. Marketing—that's another thing. You know, if you can't market yourself, you're going to struggle. And I—and again, so I many things, many opportunities, but also I think dangers as probably I've never seen them before in the, uh, the research industry. And I don't want to be a Cassandra, I don't want to be a Pollyanna, but I think it's going to be, this is going to be one of the biggest battles, if not the last battle.
1: I, I can't say I disagree. Just last night, we're recording this at the very tail end of November. I'm not sure when it's going to go live, but a friend of mine i worked with on, with an advisory for another company years ago, and they reached out to me and said, hey, I'm working on something new in AI. Do you want to see it? Yeah, sure. Cool. Oh my God. Now in this this was a marketing application to effectively streamline the production of of content, of marketing content across multiple platforms and, and form factors. And it mimics the persona of the brand and is specific to you know your your category. So we used Greenbook as a you know demo and it pulled in some of my blog posts and and the output was staggeringly good. Was it perfect? No, but my thought was okay. This just eliminated, you know, multiple roles uh, in the organization potentially, right? And it was driven by by data, you know, uh, in a very different way. So that that's an example of look. We're see, you know, I just saw this application. One of the coolest things I've seen in a long time within the marketing organization, and certainly know that we're seeing rapid development along similar lines within the Insights organization. I mean, SurveyMonkey just launched their, uh, which it's SurveyMonkey, so, but they just launched their solution of, yeah, AI will write all your questionnaires based off of the library of every questionnaire that's ever been written. Those types of things are incredibly disruptive overall. So we, we agree. Now, you've just hung out your shingle as an independent consultant so i would assume that you have a bit of a plan in thinking all right here's this world where the the process of research probably not what we're gonna i'm not gonna make my money with designing and, and developing projects and potentially even doing analytics so what does that consulting look like for you and what do you think that looks like for everybody else
2: well I I wrote a blog post about this, and I sort of like think it's challenging. Machines are challenging us to say, who are we as human beings? What is our actual voice? Can we express it? And can we use that in a way to take something which is very clear, very well structured? What a machine can do will be pretty logical, probably much more logical than me. It will give you all the information you need. It will do it very quickly, and it'll cost you nothing. So what is my role? My role to say, okay, but I actually prefer watching films and cat videos or whatever. My emotional being, right? I like getting excited and I forget most of what people tell me. So I'm a system one person. So you're gonna say that's that's normal. That's what everybody is. We are not machines. And you're gonna say, okay, so what does that mean for you as a professional? It means you need to stress your own ability to turn what is essentially a very good platform into something that's going to inspire, well, that's a high bar, which is going to be memorable. That's a high bar, which is going to convince somebody to give you more than 15 seconds of their mental time. So it's going to be even worth saying, oh, I'd like to hear a bit more of that. I'd like to turn the page. Can we have another conversation? Can you do that? So it's a lot about the human skills and having the confidence or the the ability or the training to do that. So what does that mean? I mean, for me personally, I think sort of like making insights come alive is something that you, you still see in many conferences, it doesn't quite do it. People stand on stage, um, they have a great title normally, that's why they're on stage, somebody's written them a great title. And then 20 minutes later you think, what did I just, What what was that about? I got a corporate presentation full of interesting slides. I didn't get enough real examples zero case studies. And I remembered very little of it. The visualization was mediocre to just nothing. And you think if this was you're presenting in public, is that because you are not allowed to present your best stuff in public? Is it because your company is telling you you're not allowed to do it? Or was this good enough? And I think the role is going to be, don't be good enough. Try to find the niche that you're going to be very good at. The people will remember you for, even if they don't necessarily like it. You use the word cynical. I would say maybe even dare to polarize a bit. Push it. You know, try to find your audience that says, well, here's a deck potentially of 80 slides. I'm going to give you one. Not everybody wants that. Find the one person that actually says that's a great place to start. Might be cultural, might be, you know, maybe they don't like the sound of your voice, whatever. But I think you've got to push for the human and try to have a sort of like a creative spin on what I think will the logical stuff the the very basic stuff will have been done for you and you have to add something to that the grunt stuff will be gone and I think you know if you, if you say well actually I enjoy the grunt stuff then maybe it's time to think of retraining and doing something different if that's maybe not too radical but I think there'll be a lot which is gone and the people that feel comfortable on the you know I don't want to I just want to do analytics then become you know, a brilliant sort of statistician, you know, go to places where you think nobody else has been there. So I think it's about the pff, coming back to your original question. think it's about, you know, the, the antithesis of machine is human. And, you know, I, I don't think the Turing machine maybe, maybe, maybe will be there sooner than I think. There will be no difference between Edward Appleton's voice and you could replicate me. Well, it's possible. But in the meantime, I'd say, okay, the moment I think that's happened, I'll try and reinvent myself. And try and find something which is different when people say, well, you hadn't heard that before. You know, try and try and write like Ernest Hemingway. It's not easy, Lenny. You know, it's not. There is something called human talent. Try and make a good joke. It's not easy. So I think there are areas try to be try to emulate the English sense of irony. It's not easy. So it's just finding areas, I think, which from an insights point of view, I think it's you know, making insights, not just actionable, but inspiring, memorable, that people want it and say, well, I still want those people in my organization. And when they're going through a reorganization saying, no, we're not going to cut that budget, we're not going to cut that headcount. we're going to keep those people because they add value. And you have to be very, yeah, not just hope that the rational will get you there, it's going to be more than that. And it'll be, you know, the hu- hopefully the human aspect. So maybe I'm being romantic, but that's kind of like my take.
1: No, I love that. Uh, it was actually a conversation with my wife just a few weeks ago and we were talking about, you know, our robot overlords and <laughs> where that's uh, where we're going and she is far far brighter than I am in uh, in every possible way. And she pointed out we were talking about the mechanics of how LLMs work. And it occurred to both of us during that conversation that these technologies are fantastic at remixing things. They don't create anything, not truly. And that is that innate human ability, creativity, intuition, you know, those things that, that to date, as far as I know, have not been duplicated uh, with lines of code. And when I hear you talking, you know, I, I kind of equate to what are what are those core human abilities? And I think it is, you know, intuition and, and creativity and certainly deep subject matter expertise and the ability to connect dots and sense-making that are what we're all going to have to lean into. Uh, and some folks won't necessarily do that well. And even even writing good prompts in the world of generative AI, effectively it's asking good questions. So I think there's still new applications of the skill set that we've always had, but it will be challenging to deploy them in new ways.
2: I, and I think you have to fight for the space and the money that's gonna allow you to do things that are perhaps been not budgeted for traditionally because we're in a sort of like still in a speed, agility mode, and you have to say, well, yes, but for, you know, let's say key projects, planning some time, planning some money to make it more than just, you know, yeah, I got it, I understand it, I'm gonna do these one, two, three, planning some more stuff. And that's gonna be necessary for clients to have the standing amongst their stakeholders to push back and to find the space in their budgets, in their headcount, in their team, say, yeah, we all want a work-life balance, but there are certain ones where we want to, we don't want to just make a sort of like an E-grade Netflix film. We want to make something which is pretty damn cool. Doesn't have to be big. It could be ninety seconds. Could be just a piece of text, but it should be cool, and where people say, "Wow." You can't do that every time. You can't do that, you know, every month, but it's going to be something which you people say, wow, I found it impressive. And you have to choose your moment. You know, you have to, you have to choose your customers, you choose your, and, and, you know, you're not going to win all battles, but something which says, yeah, actually, I was proud of that. And where, you know, when we're all gone, you people look back and say, yeah, that was cool. And I think you have to sort of like step up to the task of taking on your own marketing. You know, you're a, you're a genius at it, Lenny. And I think a lot of people could learn from you. And it isn't just about, you know, making sure you go through the regulars of doing things frequently, being um, sympathetic and intelligence. You've, it's, it's about much more than that. And you've got to, yeah, lean forward and say, I am sort of like you know, a voice, a presence, uh, and you, you carve your own niche. And uh, there's a is more, you know, you've got to be good at networking on the client side. That's absolutely essential you know what does the finance director think i mean he certainly she certainly won't care about your sort of like metrics but you know do you know what their metrics are do you spend any time with them that kind of stuff so it's 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 a, it's a, i think it's you know it's still a very cool place to be but the urgency of these i don't think they're new challenges but i think the urgency of these challenges is going to become massive honestly and and then there's the whole backdrop of industry consolidation you know um, and you know my personal history I you know I I didn't think I would be doing what I am now 7 or 8 months ago but that's that's life you know you lose your your personal ownership um people step away from businesses saying I've had enough that that's also life you know and you think you've got to you got to be able to pivot and if you have the energy to do it then then you have to i think think yeah more emotionally I guess that's what it's about. It's about emotions and dare to sort of like be who you want to be and get beyond cliches and get beyond sort of like, you know, the, the jargon you read on LinkedIn and say, you know, how do I become something different? You've done it. I mean, you've been massively successful and I think maybe we could all learn from, you know, your sort of like, you know, path over the last 15, 20 years as well. So, you know, throwing
1: the praise right back at you, Lenny. Oh, well, I appreciate that. I think, uh, it is interesting for someone like me i'm a failed ceo right went down that path went down the you know the traditional business management path and realized because of my own personality and and probably character flaws you know that i'm not particularly good at those things but i am pretty i'm pretty quick and have intuition imagination and creativity and can adapt pretty readily and, and so thank you also thinking about those skill sets for our listeners. And as we evolve overall, I think that that should resonate with many people that, you know, to have your personal brand and your person knowing who you are and lean into that as much as you possibly can. And to your point, somehow the universe seems to align with that, where we can actually make good livings by being who we are. Um, yeah. As long as we're not total assholes, right? I mean, that's a whole right. other thing. But- <laughs>
2: and, and, th- and throwing into that, you know, I always banded about this phrase, the power of small numbers. The smallest number is yourself, your own voice, your inner voice. Do you think it's shit? If you think it's terrible, then it probably is. And don't even share it with anybody else. <laughs> if you think it's pretty cool, you may be totally wrong. But then maybe think about have a think about it then share with somebody who's who's, whose view of the world professionalism you respect and you know bounce it off them but it starts with you know it starts with yourself with the smallest possible sample size one person that's you and i think that's what research is about and then scaling it up from that Uh, but and you you have to have the confidence to do that because a lot you know a lot of the time you think oh god who am i you know um I don't really. I'm not an expert. I don't understand this well enough. But you know, if you go with evolutionary psychology or even biology, if I dare even say that, um, people survive. Sorry, Um, people survive because of their reliance on instincts. And of course, beware of your biases. We're all biased. Be aware of your sort of bound bounds. Be aware of your ignorances. Great, we'll do all of that. But listen to listen to your own voice, and then listen to other people's voices in a very very small tight circle around you. You mentioned your wife. It's a great place to start. It doesn't have to be that, but other people, and then you begin to sense of is it just me? You know, am I am I weird? The answer is probably yes, but maybe <laughs> there are other weird people as well who make you feel less weird. And then the second person you meet who says, well, actually I feel weird too. Then you have your little crowd, you know, and you build from there. What's that got to do with market research? I think cause we're very bad at it. We sort of like, you know, quite happy with being correct and precise and analytical. And, you know, we'd like to think we're, you know, almost university is where we should have been, but actually no, 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 no. It's, it's about sort of like finding data driven empirical narratives that surprise people that sort of say, oh, Really, you think that you have? You, you can you? You know, what's this based on? You know, what's the strength of your story? But they want to, they have to want to listen to you because, ultimately, we're competing with Netflix. You know, will anybody listen to this if they can go immediately to let Netflix? Maybe not. Um, so you got to give them reasons to do that. And you know, not many of us look like Hollywood film stars, so we have to do it differently.
1: I love that perspective. It's going to be interesting times as we go forward. But here's what I do know, or at least I think I know. Uh, and as usual i i think i'm right whether i am or not time will tell but the nature of work will change the nature of our business structures will change how we spend our times will change the tasks that we perform but inherently if you're smart and open to new ideas and adaptable and authentic then there's going to be the opportunity to create value and if we create value then we'll make we'll make a living and I think especially if somebody with a qualitative background, uh, I, I think the future is fairly bright for uh, qualitative researchers because they, they now finally have tools to have scale. But their skill sets are the glaring gap in this new paradigm that's emerging. You know, the solutions don't duplicate. So I think, I think qualitative researchers are going to do great, though. So what do you think about that?
2: I think you're right. Otherwise, I wouldn't have spent seven or eight years with happy thinking people. But I think that there is still, there is way to go in really doing the basics on qualitative research Lenny. I mean, it's a sad thing to say, but for many people, many clients out there, it's still limited to a few tools. It's still where it was 20 years ago. You know, because Triton this stuff, nothing wrong with them, still groups, still the, but you know, it's, it's it's a lot more than that. And it's been a lot more than that for quite a long time. And I think a lot of clients still struggle with what What do I do with qualitative research? I think that there's still a lot of misunderstandings out there. And, you know, C-Max Solari, I remember him saying, I don't know, about a year ago, I think when he was spending more and more time helping with his wife's business, which I think was you know, doing restaurants, which sounded really hard work, actually, but probably pretty cool if you enjoy chopping and I don't know. But he said too many people still don't understand what qualitative research is. And I think that's absolutely right. And I think we, we've done not a, and I I still think that's one of the areas I feel passionate about to try to get the, in the chopping and changing world of client organizational structures to, to find the time to do this sort of like what I call category education. What is qualitative research? How do you use it? What are the tools? It's basic stuff, but not enough people still get it. A lot of, you know, how, what percentage of call of, what percentage of coal spending is in Germany? I don't know. Five percent of total spend, if that, something like that. It's tiny. Wow, really?
1: It's very small. Not twenty percent like the global. It's, it's no,
2: no. Yeah. I'm now. I may be wrong. I need to check. But it's not much. It's small. And you don't have sort of like you don't have a proper in the UK. You do. You have the AQR. You have the wonderful QRCA lot in the US. But outside of that, you know who are who, who are the people doing this sort of like you know the the industry style work about. Educating people—it's it's just absent, and that's because of the nature of the business. But to your question, yes, I definitely agree. I think qualitative has, you know, a, a strong future, but it, it has to, yeah, continue working on, the, you know, the, the the evolving understanding. What's the difference between, you know, something? Say, why do you say that? You know, that is not the essence of qualitative research. That is a closed and an open-ended question in a quant research. And too many people say, well, oh, really? So how do you get to hidden responses? And they say, well, you've never heard of eye tracking. All the stuff you think, well, of course, it's not new. Well, actually, I think the educational role is massive. And why is that? Because I think, you know, on the client side, there's an awful lot of A, new staff coming on the whole time and B, an awful, an awful lot of staff. When I was at this conference in Berlin a few weeks ago, so many of the people on stage seem to be marketing people learning. And I thought, is this the future, you know, or are the clients going to be marketing guys or women? I'm not sure, but, you know, they're not going to really spend a lot of time understanding about, I don't know, basic projective techniques, semiotics, you know. So I think there's a huge potential, but I think there's still a way to go in terms of filling that potential. And there isn't somebody with a deep pocket who's going to give you 3 million if you're in private equity, that's nothing. I know mean, how many qualitative agencies get, Financed by private equity, not many, if any, you know. Um, so it's a question of who's going to finance the marketing. Who wants to spend somebody who's doing a marketing role for a qualitative boutique in Berlin? Good question, huh?
1: Yeah. Well, that, there you go. Yeah, that does that. That's an interesting point. That you know, if if we're, we're looking at platforms driving so much of the process, and humans, an increasing or actually a decreasing service element because the technology is getting better and better doing those things. And the human component is inherently consultative. There's only room for so many McKinsey's in the world, right? And that's not even a great example because McKinsey sells products. They sell IP. It's not necessarily skills. They kind of position themselves that way. And no offense to our listeners from McKinsey, the brilliant people across the board but from a business standpoint you know it is a consultancy that sells products and that can definitely be a challenge for individual consultants that are selling a skill their brains more than anything else and you're right the private equity doesn't invest in brains so they invest in in scalable products that can grow and brains have built-in limitations
2: that's right. And, and you have to be, you know, aware of the fact that people want to have, you know, what's the what's the task that you're solving? It's as simple as that. Be simple as saying, this solves that problem. And you have to find a way if, if you're in qualitative research to not end up sounding like this is airy-fairy, we're going to, you know, refine the hypothesis A, B, C. You've got to <laughs> link up to a business reality. And I think that qualitative researchers may not appreciate that. But again, you need bridge builders, you need the bridge to quant, it's nothing new. But you've got to make sure that it's sort of like a, you know, again, bad jargon, but a smooth interface, and it's sensitive. So that the quant stuff, it's not just clunky, it's actually driven by what people really think and feel and say. None of that's new. But I think that sort of the voices needed to make these things not just exciting, but relevant from a business point of if you, they're needed. And I think, you know, the, the QSA does a great job in, in creating platforms. I think the AQR does a, a great job as well. But, you know, I don't think it's easy on the financial side for these organizations to recruit people to finance events because, you know, if you're looking at sponsors, they say, well, you know, where's the opportunity? What is the size of the opportunity? It's not like you're going for... A scalable products where you can say we have, you know, f- five key new tools, we can sell them across the globe. No, you have things like culture, context, et cetera. So it's more difficult, but I think the call space, I, I hope is something that will continue to thrive. And, you know, the things that are you know, near that, like behavioral economics and things which are, you know, nonverbal, you know, implicit stuff, that kind of stuff. I, I really think they have a huge value but it's putting it all together, you know. It's a, You know, you, you may not want to be a qual specialist. You say, "Well, put it all together." You say, "What is what is this telling me about? What's the business problem? What is this telling me? And how can I make that sound cogent, quick, and inspiring in a way that people actually want to listen to you?" And so often you think, "Wow, this may be correct, but I find it so boring." You know, lots of lot, people may not say it to your face, but they will just you know walk out. I mean, I've the most embarrassing moments I've had is where people, I remember once in the IAX, just as a personal story, I was on stage and some people came in and they sat down in the front row and they looked up and they saw it was on stage and they walked out. And I thought, wow, they realized in the the wrong room. It happens. (laughs) It happens. And you think, fine, you know, I don't take it personally. Just carry on, just carry on. And that's when I've, you know, we've got my blog and I said, what, what, you know, why do I carry on this? And people just say, "Carry on, even if you can't measure it, carry on, just carry on." So it's like a religion, if you like, but not always easy.
1: No, but it's uh, it's great advice, and obviously you're doing that now. So let's be conscious of your time as well as our listeners. You've launched on this new era in your life. You're carrying on. What do you hope that's going to look like?
2: I hope I will help. On the client side, people turn something which is they think is pretty good into something which is makes insights even more inspiring by sharpening it, cutting it down, being critical from a narrative perspective and analytical. Because I trained in quant, but not trying to say I'm, you know, I'm your best technical market researcher, but somebody who can help you turn something which is good into something which is even better. So, my personal sort of like Preference is to try to make language sound convincing logical but occasionally throw into something which is memorable and on the agency side on a very simple simple front you know trying to find ways of getting management to take your report seriously so looking at one pages and i, I always used to hate doing those as a client because i would once a project was done i thought oh God, I have twenty-one pages. Well outsource it. (laughs) You know, because I really didn't want to go back into stuff which for me was done and dusted. Outsource it. Or if you want to get onto a a stage, get beyond the headline, get into the actual presentation. Look at sort of like the how writing a, a proposal which is sounds intelligent, sounds like you want to hear more, use me to do that kind of stuff. And on a more strategic level, be a sort of like a sparring partner for people who want to, if they if they feel they're open enough to get any positioning advice on how their company is um, looking versus competition, whether it's a good time to sell, get out of the business, or maybe develop something which is a little bit more differentiated or powerful or whatever. Yeah, so on the strategic side, do something like that, and and finally, I guess there would be this notion of we you know what client sides have an interim vacancy where somebody is out for six months or nine months or however long, then just sort of like, you know, we we live in a virtual world, so to speak. So pick up the phone and um,
1: I can maybe step in and then step back out again. Okay. Uh, All that sounds great. Now, one last thing, though, that you're you're hosting your blog on Substack, which I, I find Substack fascinating. I subscribe to many different Folks, I think it's the best collection of, of great thinking on the planet, all in one place, right? Experts like you, expansive, diving deep or not, depending upon the topic, but it's just a, it, it's a fantastic resource and an interesting business model to take experts and find an opportunity to create income off of their IP, off of their expertise in a very different way by sharing that. So, any thoughts on that? Do you see a path of building a great Substack with you know thousands of uh, subscribers paying ten bucks a month uh, <laughs> and going that direction?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that you know the thing is is when people get to see you, see you, hear your voice. So, I think, I mean, at Substack, I read something earlier on today that they're getting now more into videos. I think the sort of like yes would be. answer to your question but probably be over hopeful to earn much money with just a blog but it would have to be kind of like uh, a series of i don't know maybe if it's only just four or five times a year but sort of like interactive videos something like this where people can see you because i think there's no well obviously there is a substitute for face-to-face and we're just doing it but i think the face-to-face is is really still the best so it's something i've struggled with a little bit because i don't like looking at myself on camera, I always feel a bit self-conscious and feel old-fashioned and, you know, you, you make loads of mistakes and I haven't got a video editor and all of that kind of stuff. But I think it's something that that's held me back a little bit that I'm going to have to do a lot more on the sort of like um, more than a podcast, but actually, actually, you know, small videos and, and looking at in, in, engaging people differently. And then I think I would charge for it. I'm not sure about the blog. Would you pay? For, would you pay for my blog? No, you're not going to tell me the truth here now. You probably wouldn't, would you? I don't believe you would. I,
1: I would have to say right now, no, only because there are so many that I subscribe to I would go broke trying to do it. So I so I that and, and that's an issue, right? With with this. If Substack, it's great at promoting oh, you like this, check this out, et cetera, et cetera. That's why I subscribe to hundreds of them now. So that's a I think there's a flaw in their business model from that standpoint of just economics of a subscriber. I have to be very, very, very picky because my wife keeps, gives me this much budget, right, to spend on those things. <laughs> um, thinking about the Murphy Retirement Fund, probably. That, that That's exactly, well, and we still have kids at home and, you know, all of that good stuff. So, Edward, I, I think your voice is fantastic. I think that the perspective that you bring, and that's why I wanted to have you as a guest, is an important one, and people need to keep hearing it from as many people as possible that carry, you know, credibility. And you absolutely have that. Thank you.
2: My energy is still there. My, my belief in the industry is still there and the fundamentals for me have not changed, except as I said earlier, I think they've got a lot more urgent. And I think the synthetic data will change masses. And when you read small things that John Poulston shares, With the outside world, it sounds scary and uh, Mark Ritson from the UK puts out there. And so it's going to change not just market research, it's going to change masses. But then you move on to things which are going to be valued, but they're going to be different. And I think research, you know, more and more companies will want to make database decisions, but they're going to be doing them differently. And I think there'll be, you know, yeah, I think market research could be, in a good place, and this is something we could have said five years ago as well. If it sort of steps up differently to its true essence, and and that's not going to be about being expert on terrible to say, but things like you know, Catherine Corrastoff probably would hate this, but questionnaire design and you know the panel structure business, they they may they may disappear. Uh, they may not, Catherine. If you're listening to this, that you know maybe you you're going to be leading open ai on this one but it's a danger so i think it was on the urgency of the the, the change is you know it, it's the urgency of life to quote morrissey as a uk singer from the the 80s and he talked about that and i think he's spot on the smiths live in my head if not anywhere else in the
1: planet. <laughs> they are a favorite uh, actually I, i'm quite proud that my uh my 13 year old and 14 year olds actually can rattle off many smith songs and uh, have them on rotation on their uh, the Spotify list. So I, I, I is that right? It, that's right. I think I've I've, I've done wow. something right as a dad. So oh, you've done lots, right, Lenny? Yeah, uh, Edward, we, we could go on and on from there. I, I love the conversation. Congratulations on the new uh, the new opportunity. And is there anything else that you want to let our listeners know? For we uh, well, where, where where can they find you? They they can find
2: me by going onto LinkedIn, and they'll they'll see my contact details. And they can, you know, look at my my blog, research, and reflect if they want to. And I even have a telephone number, but I'm not going to share with it you online here. Otherwise, I get all sorts of unusual calls, which may be more interesting than I would like professionally. You know?
1: <laughs> so smart man,
2: smart man. No, 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 no. I wish I were smart. I, but you know, we we play with what we've got, right? Yep. So. The gray matter is still there, Lenny. It's great to catch up. Thank you so much for your time. It's great to talk, and I'd love to. And let's make some time to you know, continue the conversation to use that great face.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Edward. This has been great. want to uh, give a big shout out to our producer, Natalie, our editor of Big Bad Audio, and of course, to you, our listeners, because Edward and I would still have time to talk, but it's a lot more fun knowing that maybe other people are going to get value out of it as well. And that's it for this edition of the Green Book Podcast. Take care.